0: is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Alison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Hey, bro. Hello, Allison. In this week's episode, we're joined by Motley Fool analysts Alice Lomax and John Rotanti. They're here to help us understand how businesses are contending with climate change and what that means for investors. All that and more on this week's episode of
1: Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, Allison, I got a couple of things for you. No, oh, I one. want three. Three things. Know, you're only getting two. Ugh. Only two, but a lot of numbers. So I'm okay. trying to spread it out. I know. Buckle it's up. Favorite. Nothing, nothing like, like numbers on a podcast. All right, number one, retirement accounts on the rise. So we humans are social creatures. And part of being a social creature is that we compare ourselves to everyone else and kind of hope that we're better than all the other creatures. And we see this at The Motley Fool because anytime we publish an article – about things like the average 401k balance, man, it is sure to get a lot of clicks. Very popular. Yes. Well, we're not above doing such things here on Answers. So let's dig into the latest numbers from Fidelity, which recently published account balance information as of the end of last year. And those balances are at all time highs. So according to all the accounts at Fidelity, the average IRA balance as of the end of 2020 was 128000 Average 401k balance, 122,000, and average 403b balance was 106,000. Now, of course, how much someone has in a 401k or retirement account depends on other factors like how long they've been at the same company and their age. So, here are some numbers they provided just based on age. So, for people in their 30s, the average balance is 51,000, people in their 40s, 121,000, people in their 50s, 204,000, and people in their 60s, 229,000. How are people doing in terms of their savings rate? Well, that's also at an all-time high. The average savings rate for a 401k from the employee was 9.1%. Add in the employer match and a total 13.5% was being contributed to 401k accounts at Fidelity. Uh, And despite all the difficulties last year during the pandemic panic and the recession and all that stuff... 33% of individuals with a 401k at Fidelity increased their savings rate at some point in 2020. Um, Workers are also taking more advantage of IRAs. The number of IRAs uh, accounts that received a contribution increased by a third last year, and the amount that was contributed was up by 5%. And Roths are increasingly more popular. Last year at Fidelity, they took in 59% of all IRA contributions. And speaking of IRAs, uh, just thought we'd remind you that you do have until April 15th to contribute to an IRA for 2020. So still have a few more weeks to do that, but why not take care of it now? Um, Of course, not everyone did so well last year. Thanks to the CARES Act, people who suffered a coronavirus-related hardship were allowed to take money out of their retirement accounts penalty-free, and some people did take advantage of that, but perhaps not as many as some people feared would happen. So of the folks who have an employer plan at Fidelity, 6.3% took a CARES Act distribution and the average amount was 9400. So not so bad. And as a reminder for those who did take money out, you have up to three years to put that money back in if your financial situation turns around. So that's the first item. Let's move on to the second item, which is Uncle Sam loves retirees too. Uh, so we just talked about IRAs and 401ks, which workers use to save for retirement because of the tax advantages. Uh, and those advantages are in place because the government is basically trying to incentivize people to save for their golden years. But the tax breaks don't stop once you quit working. A recent study from the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College estimated how much in taxes retirees will owe on their income, and man, it's pretty dang low. Uh, now, one reason it's low is because the average retiree's income is pretty low, at least compared to the median income of all households in America, which these days is around $70,000 per household. So according to the study, for people who retired between t- uh, the years 2010 and 2018, the households in the middle 20%, so the middle quintile, received an annual household social security benefit of 34400 and for those who received a pension, the annual benefit was $8,000. The total value of their wealth of the average retiree was a little under $200,000. It came in at $186,000. So let's just apply yield 4% rule to that amount. And that results in another 7500 7, of annual income. So all told, the average retiree is getting by on between $40,000 and $50,000 a year. But that income isn't taxed as much as if the same amount had been earned by a working stiff. That's because not all social security is taxed. Citizens 65 and older get a higher standard deduction. Some of that income that retirees uh, receive is from qualified dividends and long-term capital gains, which are taxed at lower rates. And many states offer tax breaks to retirees. So all told, the study found that retired households in the aggregate will pay only about 6% of their income in federal and state income taxes. And most of that liability is being levied on the top quintile, the top 20%. The lower 80% in terms of income, the taxes are almost nothing. They range from 0% to 1.9%. It's really the top 20% and really the top 5% of retirees who are paying most of the taxes. So the bottom line here is figuring out Figuring out how much you need to save for retirement starts with getting an idea of how much you'll need in retirement, and chances are your tax bill will likely drop dramatically once you stop working. And that, Allison, is what's up. This episode of Answers is brought to you by Motley Fool Stock Advisor, the Fool's flagship investment idea service. Led by co-founders Tom and David Gardner, the Stock Advisor team has outperformed the market five to one since the launch of the service in 2002. If you're a regular Answers listener, you've probably heard about Stock Advisor and may have thought to yourself, I should check it out. Well, today is your lucky day because you can give Stock Advisor a try for 50% off the list price by visiting saoffer.fool.com. You'll gain unlimited access to all the past and current recommendations, as well as a virtual library of investment education. Plus, members will receive new stock picks each and every month. Is your interest piqued? Then go on over to saoffer.fool.com. That's the letters S and A filed by offer.fool.com.
0: Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? The paradise, put up a parking lot. In his January 2020 letter to CEOs, BlackRock CEO and chairman Larry Fink wrote, Climate risk is investment risk. His January 2021 letter doubled down on the impact of climate change, saying there is no company whose business model won't be profoundly affected by the transition to a net zero economy. Andy Cross, our own chief investing officer here at the Motley Fool, echoed these sentiments in an earlier episode of Answers this year, saying that climate change was the most important theme he was paying attention to as an investor. So, when BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, and Andy Cross agree on something, you should probably pay attention. So joining us today, then, is Alice Lomax and John Ratanti They're analysts here at The Motley Fool. They're going to help us understand the risks of climate change for investors and how you can assess companies for the steps that they are taking. John and Alice, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us, Allison.
2: Yeah, Allison. Glad to be here.
0: Now, Alice, you've been on the show before. John, remind me, have you been on the show before?
2: Nope. I'm a I'm, I'm a newbie.
0: All right. Well, then, you know what? Let's just reintroduce you all over again or for the first time.
3: Alice, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at The Motley Fool? Yes. Um, I've been at The Motley Fool for uh, about 17 years, and I, over the years, started to specialize in sort of socially responsible investing, environmental, social, and governance investing, and I'm an analyst with our investing group. All right, John. How
2: about you? I've been at The Motley Fool for almost seven years. I'm a senior analyst and I'm the head of investor training and development.
0: I did not actually know that. This is a learning experience for all of us. Well, thank you so much for joining us and helping us kind of dig into what uh, climate change can mean for investors and why is this becoming such a big deal and such a headline. So, first off, in that quote that I said at the top of the show, Larry Fink said that there is no company whose business model won't be profoundly affected by a transition to a net zero economy, climate change. And for me, I'm like, okay, I can get how like energy companies are going to be profoundly affected. Companies, agricultural companies could be profoundly affected, but all companies, that's especially working at a tech company, like at the Motley Fool, it's like, really, how will we, how will this profoundly affect our business model, and so let's talk a little bit about all of the different ways that uh, climate change, this shift to net zero economy, could have broader implications than what seems glaringly obvious to people like me who don't know very much. So, why should a company uh, run itself, make decisions through the lens of climate change, thinking about climate change? Why? Why is this so important?
2: I think one big reason is sustainability of the business. The industry and the economy in which they operate in and the planet because the company can make all the money in the world but you know if if we're having these extreme weather events every year massive floods fires hurricanes whatever it is that's going to disrupt their business and so it's survival on a large level um and then also uh, related to that is morally if companies are big polluters then they should be aware of that, understand that their business has consequences and they should do something to reverse that. And so morally, I think companies, I mean, some companies are so huge, Allison. They're such big polluters that they should do something about it. And then just survival and sustainability of the business.
3: Alice, how about you? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, there's also the aspect that investors and consumers are increasingly demanding this of companies. Um, We do know that especially younger generations want to be uh, supporting, whether it's with their consumer dollars or their investing dollars, they want to be supporting environmentally friendly and sustainable companies. We do know that increasing numbers of institutional investors want these types of uh, initiatives. I mean, the BlackRock letter right there, you know, that that tells us, you know, they're a huge institutional investor. Um, there's increasing activism at companies like ExxonMobil recently um, has been targeted by activists to do a better job with climate change. So, So there is a big sea change going on. And a lot of people really want companies to be doing better in these areas.
0: Let's start by talking about the moral obligation, right? Like on the part of the investor, some investors just want to invest with an eye toward climate change and being socially responsible.
2: Well, large institutional investors, Allison, have um, in a lot of cases large voting power at the companies that they own because they, they own large chunks of stock. And so, from a moral perspective, they have the ability to influence decision making at the companies through their voting power. Some of those institutions will may decide that climate change is a moral issue and, and protecting the planet from climate change is a moral issue, and they may decide to use the voting power to um, push that agenda. Also, some of the um, clients of those big institutional firms are asking for ESG-related products They're asking for green energy-friendly products, whether it's a mutual fund or an index fund that they can invest in, um, in order to fund a greener planet.
3: All right. How about managing risk? Looking at ESG issues, including climate change issues, uh, is actually not only – an area of opportunity in some ways, but it's also a way to try to assess risk to companies. For example, lawsuits, customers defecting due to climate change related issues. We recently saw the the, the terrible impacts to PG and E. You know that was absolutely a climate change related disaster that happened um, that ended with loss of life, loss of property. Um, so. More and more, it, it bodes well for investors to care about these issues, not not just, you know, for the opportunities, but also to try to reduce the risks to their investments and, and to the outside world.
0: And I guess there's also probably impending regulation, like there's yes. also regulation to consider as well.
3: That is definitely an increasing drive is that we need to have policy solutions to these issues. And that will absolutely Result in regulations that are going to impact all kinds of companies and and how they do business.
2: For example, the new administration um, is trying to halt drilling on federal lands, so that's going to affect the expor- exploration and production companies. The new administration is um, has talked about proposing a major. Infrastructure bill, trillion dollar infrastructure bill with an emphasis on green infrastructure, with an emphasis on EVs, on electric vehicles, um, with the idea that um, EV manufacturing will both save jobs today, manufacturing jobs today, and create the jobs of the future. There are rumors and speculation that the new administration is going to renew a $7,500 credit for, for buying EVs. And so whether it's through policy or through regulation, industry will be affected.
0: So there is the, you know, the idea of what are companies doing to, um, survive in a time of climate change, de-risk. Um, maybe there's a moral obligation, maybe there's, but there's also an opportunity to see um, this as an opportunity for growth, right? Or an appeal to consumers. Because uh, I think a Washington Post-Kaiser poll found that eight out of 10 Americans think that climate change is a serious problem.
2: Yeah, I think for sure. I think that there are companies that are using green technology innovation to sell products customers want, whether it's um, Nike using recyclable materials to make shoes and apparel, whether it's Trex, um, an alternative decking company that makes green decks so families can enjoy the outdoors in in, in their backyard um, with a deck that Significantly decreases forest deforestation because the decks are made out of recycled plastic bags and sawdust, um, and so there are there are lots of of companies selling greener products that are appealing to consumers.
0: So, if you're not a climate change expert, which I am not, uh, how do you even begin to sort of navigate the impact that companies are really having?
2: I think the first thing. That that we do, Alice and I do, and that investors do. Are we we read their sustainability report? Sometimes it's called their um, corporate social responsibility report, and we try to see what their goals are, if they're providing hard numbers, specifics around those goals, and then how they track those goals and report on those goals over time. So I think I think the. F- One of the first places we go to is their sustainability reports. And then there are third-party organizations um, that track and score companies on climate change, whether it's the um, CDP, formerly known as the Carbon Disclosure Project, um, or various lists, like there's various sustainability lists – various green energy lists that that different news organizations or media will put out. And so, there. and then there's other organizations like the RE100, and that's companies that sign on and commit to generating um, 100% of their electricity through renewable means. So there's lots of different organizations or lists that track this kind of stuff. But the first place I think we go is to their sustainability report.
3: Yeah, and I'd like to just chime in. Like, yeah, I agree with everything that John said. And one of the things that people get tired of hearing me say is that we need better and more full disclosure with real metrics, real goals. Um, you know, Larry Fink's letter—that uh, was—that was a—he that was, was talking a really good, big game about getting companies to actually disclose more. So that gets us on the road to addressing these issues. Like, if you can measure it, you can manage it. Is is the good way to look at that.
0: All right. Well, let's uh, take our listeners on a journey into the mind of a Motley Fool analyst, namely you two. And so we're going to look at some specific companies uh, and talk about what they are doing, uh, what they're reporting on how they are operating in a world of climate change, net zero economy. So, John, let's um, start with you. What company do you want to highlight for our
2: listeners? Allison, I'm going to start with Microsoft the largest software company in the world, one of the largest companies in the world. Uh, So in 2020, Microsoft set a goal to be carbon negative by 2030, which means they want to remove more carbon from the uh, environment than than they emit. But they also want to remove all of the carbon the company has emitted since its founding by 2050. So those wow. are two, yeah, two separate goals they set in you know, just last year in twenty twenty, be carbon negative by twenty thirty, and then remove all of the carbon going back to the company's founding by twenty fifty. And so, as part of this journey, it plans to use one hundred percent renewable energy by twenty twenty five. That's sort of the first big milestone. Um, and you know, I think this is a bold goal from a company that is self aware because it knows it consumes just huge amounts of energy to run its data centers, which power its global cloud platform. And then Microsoft set other aggressive goals, um, such as being water positive by 2030. And what water positive means is replenishing more water than it uses through things like water treatment and reuse and wetland restoration. So they wanna be water positive by 2030 and they wanna be zero waste by 2030 as well. And so the way they will achieve zero waste is by eliminating single-use plastics from its packaging, um, reusing tech gear like servers and components, and then actually making their surface devices uh, fully recyclable all by 2030. And so to me, this seems like aggressive, specific numbers-based goals that can be tracked and monitored over the next decade. And then Microsoft also sort of set this softer goal, which sounds cool, but I I don't know how to measure it yet. And it's it's to build a planetary computer to monitor the world's ecosystems. Now, if anyone can do it, it's Microsoft because they have like the second largest hyperscale cloud out there, and they have all they have a full suite of software, like the full stack of software. And so, if anyone could build a planetary computer, it's probably Microsoft. Um, and it sounds really cool. I just don't know how to measure that yet, but I hope you know. I hope they achieve that goal. Um, and then finally, Microsoft is on this um, carbon carbon disclosure project a list, and it is the second largest green energy producer behind only Google, according to the EPA.
0: Well, I mean, you bring up a, by talking about Microsoft, you bring up a really excellent point that just cuz you're not in the energy business even a tech company still can have a pretty big footprint and can still have a pretty big impact on reversing kind of what they're doing to the climate
2: totally it's all about being like self-aware and understand understanding that corporate reactions and corporate decisions have have consequences right and and so not only does microsoft have a big footprint but it has a huge footprint. I mean because these data centers consume massive amounts of electricity, energy, and then they and then they use massive amounts of water to cool the data centers down because they heat up because they're they're just running so hot with energy. And 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 so at least Microsoft is aware of that. And so if they're going to be a huge emitter, then they should try to do something to to rectify that.
0: Right? Even like mining bitcoin, right? Like there's climate concerns about mining Bitcoin. It's like something that lives totally in a digital space actually has an impact in the real world. The real world, the digital world, the real world, whatever. All right, uh, all right, Alice. What company do you want to talk about?
3: All right. Um. Actually, I think I've talked about them before because they're one of my favorite companies. Um. I actually own shares of this company. Um. It's a major multinational corporation that probably everybody has their products in their home. Um, I'd like to talk about Unilever. Um, they own, they own brands such as Ben and Jerry's and Dove soap and just a a whole variety of different consumer goods. And they've been actually very good and ahead of the curve about making really aggressive, um, goals around these types of issues. For example, um, It plans to uh, cut its emissions from its operations to net zero by 2039 and have the environmental impact of its products. Um, It has neat plans like um, intending to make all 70,000 of its products biodegradable in the next decade, cut its use of virgin plastic in half by 2025. It's aiming for a deforestation-free supply chain by 2023, which is a very big deal uh, for a company like this. And it will use some sort of innovative ways to do so, such as satellite monitoring, geolocation tracking, and blockchain to sort of get an idea of its commodity sourcing. Um, It's going to give priority to suppliers that have made emissions targets that match its its own view of things, which is important. Again, as we were just saying, sometimes it's hard to really get your arms around all the different impacts down the chain, right? So it's going to hold its its suppliers to those. And um, another nice thing it plans to publicize, it's carbon emissions involved in the manufacturing and transport of its products, which is helpful too because a more environmentally Concerned consumer, I mean, it's hard to know, right? Like what the products you're using, you know, what their impacts are. So that that drive to actually publicize that, I think, is a very big deal, too.
0: All right, John, what's your second company you want to talk about?
2: Allison, I'm going to talk about Starbucks. So, Starbucks signed on to the RE100, the Renewable Energy 100. And so, I, I mentioned earlier that's a list of companies that are committed to using 100% renewable electricity. Um, and Starbucks already generates uh, 100%, 100% of its company owned stores in the US, Canada, and the UK already run on renewable energy. Globally, as of 2019, 72% of its global operations were powered by renewable energy. Um, it has issued sustainability bonds to help finance development of 10,000, wh- what they're calling greener stores by 2025. And those greener stores supposedly go beyond LEED certified. I haven't found a whole lot of information more on what... Um, Beyond Lead certified means, but apparently they're going to be greener, and so it's it's it's, it's issuing green bonds to to help finance the growth of these ten thousand greener stores. Um, it has a goal to develop a one hundred percent compostable and recyclable cup for hot beverages by twenty twenty two. And then Starbucks did set a goal to eliminate all single use plastic straws. From all of its stores across the world by 2020, and to replace them with an alternative material straw, um, but because of logistical challenges brought on by COVID and then the subsequent sh- global shelter-in-place orders, Starbucks has moved that goal back to 2021, sometime in 2021. But it's a it's a good goal. And then and then lastly, I'll just say it is the 11th largest purchaser of green power according to the EPA.
0: Wow. All right, Alice, what's your second company?
3: All right. My second company um, is another one that's sort of a household name. I also own shares of this one. It's L'Oreal. John was mentioning the the carbon disclosure project earlier, and um, L'Oreal actually has a triple A on its A list, which is actually very rare. I think they're only Sadly, there are only 10 companies that have gotten an A score in climate change, forests, and water security, and L'Oreal has done that, I believe it's four years in a row. Um, And it just has has a L'Oreal for the future initiative where it is aiming to achieve carbon neutrality in all of its sites by 2025. It's going to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions connected to transportation of products by 50% on average. And per finished product by 2030. Um, And it's also holding its suppliers to to, uh, reducing their emissions also. Um, And again, as we were talking about product labeling, they plan to reveal the environmental and social impact of products. And also make all packaging sourced from recycled or bio-based materials by the end of the decade. So this is just really neat stuff that they're doing. Um, And like at the end of 2019, it had 51 carbon neutral sites, including 14 factories. Like it's, you know, doing the work and um, reducing its emissions. And I just, I I encourage people to look into their sustainability information because I think they're, they're taking a really good lead
0: one of the concerns people have with companies talking like talking up how they're being green or whatever it's called like greenwashing right i think they call it greenwashing where a company is kind of just talking about it and not really doing anything how do you look at a company and really think okay actually they are they are walking the talk here and they're not just trying to have a nice section of their you know report sound like they care
3: it's to my way of thinking it really is about having those numbers and goals and being able to see over the years how they're progressing on these goals personally i don't i don't Detract from a company if it doesn't necessarily make the goals, but I want to know what it's doing and why. Um, You know, if I see a company, and you do still see this, where they will have what seems to be a really beautiful sustainability treatment, but you know, the more you read it, you're like, there are no numbers, there are no figures, there are no metrics. So that's that's when I start to worry about the greenwashing part.
0: So Larry Fink closed his thoughts on climate change in his 2021 letter with. I have great optimism about the future of capitalism and the future health of the economy, not in spite of the energy transition, but because of it. So what are your closing thoughts here on climate change and what companies are doing?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm optimistic. I I think that. Um, I think that big, huge companies with with enormous amounts of capital are going to throw a lot of capital at an urgent crisis, whether it's a Microsoft, which was mentioned, or um, the companies that Alice mentioned, or other just big tech giants, whether it's Berkshire Hathaway, which owns Berkshire Hathaway Energy, and they're throwing massive amounts of capital at at wind and solar, just massive amounts of capital. And they have, they have a, a competitive advantage in that that just can't be replicated because other public utilities, investor-owned utilities, have to pay a dividend. And that means, and they, not only a dividend, but a large dividend. And so they're paying out a huge amount of their earnings back to investors rather than investing it in green pro- projects. Berkshire Hathaway's energy doesn't pay a dividend to Berkshire Hathaway, so that's a competitive advantage that cannot be replicated. And so Berkshire Hathaway's lead in green energy um, is just going to accelerate from there. And but my my point is that. Big companies with these big brands like Microsoft and Google and Berkshire, I think they're going to really lead a massive pivot in how other corporations approach climate. Like they're going to be a leader. Other companies are going to be, you know, follow their lead. And I think it's going to lead – I think it's going to um, just really create a tailwind of support behind this. And so I'm I'm optimistic.
3: Yeah, I feel like um unfortunately I feel like we're a little bit late late in the game um in terms of you know 10 or 12 or however many years ago I I feel like companies should have been leading then. But but I absolutely agree with John that we have some great big companies that have smart managements that are going to, you know, spur a race to the top. And I also, I really like to always emphasize that the companies that are coming up with solutions like Microsoft just coming up with these really neat initiatives, like you're seeing innovation that is really exciting. Um, so even though, I wish that everything had started sooner. I have great optimism that we're getting there now and that these companies are going to lead into the future to, to work on this issue. John, Alice,
0: thank you so much for joining us and helping us understand uh, this a bit better. It's, it's so complicated. I think I need to have you guys back to talk more um, maybe later on in the year about this and, what, and socially responsible investing and, and more. Can you come back for more? I would love to, Allison. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks for having us.
0: Awesome. All right. Disclaimer time, because we talked about stocks. Stocks. As always, The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks we talked about on this episode. Don't buy and sell stocks based solely on what you heard here, even though John and Alice are pretty on it. Well, that's the show. It's edited cloudily by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Alison Southwick. Stay Foolish, everybody.